welcome to the Hope City Church podcast. We're so excited for you to listen along and hear this week's message. We pray it inspires and motivates and draws you closer to Jesus. Let's take a listen. We are talking about the book of Acts. Who brought their Bibles today? Or some kind of reading device? If you use a Bible, can you wave it in the air so I can see? Okay, 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 okay. I just love having my Bible. I love turning pages in my Bible. I love the sound it makes when you're turning pages. I love, like, writing notes in my Bible. Who writes notes in their Bible? Oh, I love it. I love it. Lots of times I go back and I cannot understand a thing that I wrote. And I have to stare at it for a solid 10 seconds trying to decipher what I wrote down. But that's part of the fun of it for me. Because obviously God said something to me and I just got to, like, mine it out again. Acts chapter 2, we stopped at last week. I didn't quite get to where I was trying to go last week, but today we're going to get there. So before we start, let's pray together and believe God for his spirit to move and to speak to us. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that this is the day that you have made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Father, we thank you that you are speaking, that you're moving, that your word is alive and active. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are moving in this place today. Open our eyes, open our minds, open our ears to receive your truth. And may we leave this place changed and transformed like only you can do. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen. Acts chapter 2. We're going to pick up sort of where we left off last week. We left off just after the Holy Spirit had fallen on the day of Pentecost. For those of you who weren't here last week, we started in chapter 2. And we started off, and I talked a little bit, and we ended our service actually on this point. The Holy Spirit fell when they were in one place, in one accord, the New King James translation says, the ESV says, in one accord. And that one accord is the Greek word homothumaden. And it means that you're all together with one purpose, one goal, one thing that you're after. And all those 120 people were up in that room after Jesus took off and went to heaven. And they were waiting, the Bible says, for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And they were there with one accord, one purpose, one desire. The Bible told us then they were sitting there one day praying, waiting. And all of a sudden, the Bible says, the Holy Spirit fell on them. And they began to speak in other languages. And we talked a little bit about how that word other languages, the New King James says tongues. But the actual Greek word is literally other languages. They were speaking unknown languages to them. Has anybody ever heard somebody begin to spontaneously speak in different languages? It's pretty cool, isn't it? Well, I thought it was cool. They don't understand what I'm saying? Japanese. Okay, let me, let me, let me, let me back it up. Okay, here we go. We're going to back that up, take it from the beginning again. When the Holy Spirit fell, the Bible said these people began speaking in unknown languages to them. So it says, if you come down into verse, and I don't think, oh, okay, our slide guy is on his game today. Amazing. Um, It says in verse number 8, 
all these people from around Jerusalem run together, and it says, we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things that God has done. So these people, these 120 people, were all gathered together in this room. The Holy Spirit falls on them, and these 120 people began to speak about the good things God has done, about the good things that God is in these people's language. And to me, that's amazing. That is God working and moving. It wasn't what the Bible called, it wasn't tongues. It wasn't the gift of tongues where they were just shunned a lion, taken off, and nobody understood what they were saying. These people were speaking in unknown languages to them. And all these people that were in Jerusalem and Judea came showing up saying, what is going on up in this house? There's 120 people all gathered together talking about how good God is in a language that I know and they don't. That sounds like Jesus to me. I love it when Jen talks back when I preach. <laughs> Causing people to hear, hear languages or words in their own language, then God will do that. God will do anything to make the name of Jesus known. And we should do anything and everything to make the name of Jesus known. We need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives more now than ever. Generations need to see the name. They need to know the power. They need to know the love of Jesus Christ. That surpasses knowledge and Hope City Church. We cannot do that without the power of the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. Come on, somebody. (laughs) Should I stand here? Do you want a microphone? Okay. Whoop, glory. Somebody's got that. (laughs) Jen's absolutely correct. You know... I wouldn't put it past God to orchestrate it ages before this even happened, that it was the reason all these people came to Jerusalem was because he knew that he was going to pour out the Holy Spirit on those people and begin the redemption process ages before it happened. So he had all those people. I showed you that map last week where all those people were at, and they all came from different places, all over the place, and they all showed up. America is not on that map. They all showed up because God had orchestrated it. So we talked about that. Then we got down to verse 14, and here's where we're going to pick it up. We're going to pick it up running, get a running start at it. The Holy Spirit has fallen. All these people showed up. Some people are saying, what's going on? What's happening? We hear these people all talking about God. Some people are saying, these guys are drunk. 
First thing in the morning, I don't know what's wrong with them. These guys are all together and they're drunk. What is taking place? And the Bible says in verse 14, we have the first recorded account of Peter's first sermon. Peter steps forward with the 11 other apostles and he shouts to the crowd. These guys are all in an upper room. Everybody's talking. Everybody's making noise. They're all talking. And unlo- Could you imagine what it would feel like? With your all together, all of your friends, like all of us here right now, the Holy Spirit falls on us, and we all together begin. Um, JJ starts talking in um, African. I know that's not a dialect, but, you know, some, some dialect from Africa. And, and I start talking in um, Swedish and German, and I can only think of three languages right now, but you understand my point. And we all begin to start speaking these other languages. And Peter is standing here watching this, seeing what's happening. And he sees this crowd gathering. And the crowd is showing up. And they're going, what's going on? Peter, Peter says, well, somebody's got to say something. Somebody's got to tell everybody what's going on. So the Bible says in verse 14, Peter steps forward. Begins to shout to the crowd. He says, listen carefully, all you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people aren't drunk like some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is way too early. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And in those days, God says, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below blood and fire and cloud of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everybody, but everybody, somebody say everybody. Everybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, let's just pause for a second here. I think it's really interesting that Peter begins to quote this passage of Scripture. Did you know that Acts chapter 4, we'll probably look at it next week. Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are in trouble because of a miracle they do. And, and, and the, uh, the, the, the guys that are against them, they say, well, I don't know what we can do about these guys. They say, it's clear that these two dudes aren't educated men. They're not scholars. They're not Bible scholars. They didn't go to school. But we can tell that these two guys have been with Jesus. So Peter is not an educated man. He didn't spend his time reading the Bible. He didn't spend his time reading the scrolls. He didn't grow up in the temple all the time. Peter was a fisherman, right? That's where Jesus found him. He was out fishing one day, and Jesus said, come with me, and I'll show you how to fish for men. And I think it's really interesting that Peter is here, and, and something is happening. The Holy Spirit is moving, and Peter walks forward, and the first thing he says is, nobody's drunk. Let me tell you what's happening. And he begins to quote from the book of Joel. Now, you can't prove this, but here's what I think was taking place. You see, in chapter 1, before Jesus left, he told the disciples again, that I'm going to send the gift to you. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. Go to Jerusalem and wait. The disciples had been 
without Jesus for a week now at this point, and they're sitting in this room, and I think what they were doing was they were going through the scrolls in that week, trying to see what the Spirit of God was going to look like. I think they were looking in the Bible about what the Spirit of God is, what it's going to do in their life, what's going to happen, because Jesus said the same miracles I did and even greater you're going to do in John. So they're like, what is this going to look like? I don't know. Let's go find the Bible. Let's open it up and take a look. And all of a sudden, I think they were probably sitting in that room reading this over. And I think someone was probably praying, saying, God, says God's going to pour his spirit. And sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. I'm going to pour my spirit. And servants, men and women alike, they'll prophesy. And I think they were sitting there praying, saying, God, pour out your spirit on us. We want your spirit in our life. We want to see you move. We want to prophesy. We want to have visions. We want to have dreams. God, pour out your spirit. Pour out your spirit. And then guess what? Boom! I think God poured out his spirit. And then everybody shows up. There are whole segments of Christianity that want to stop with the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. There are whole groups of Christianity where what they're after is the gift of the Holy Spirit. What they're after is that warm feeling when the Holy Spirit shows up. What they're after is what the Holy Spirit does, the, the goose pimples and the, oh, it feels so nice and I feel so good. But can I tell you something? If you take your time and you work your way through the Bible, Whenever the Holy Spirit shows up and moves and does miraculous things, what is supposed to transpire is people come and say, what is happening? What is, that guy just had no leg and now he's got a leg and feet. This guy, he has not walked in 40 years and his legs don't even work. And all of a sudden, this guy is standing up and walking around. What is happening? So many believers want to stop at the dude standing up and his legs working. But can I tell you, the Holy Spirit isn't here so that we can worship him. The Holy Spirit shows up and moves to point to Jesus. Jesus is the one who brought us reconciliation to God, who made us right with God, his Father. Jesus is the one who paid the price on the cross and washed us clean and took away our sins that were all dirty and all nasty, and he made us look right in his Father's eyes. The Holy Spirit moves to point to Jesus. And Jesus reconciles us to his Father. Don't stop. Don't just stop at the works of the Holy Spirit. Don't just stop there. There's a reason those works are taking place. And Peter gets up and he begins to explain what's happening. And he says, this is what's going on. Verse 22 says, people of Israel, listen to me. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene, the New King James says Jesus of Nazareth, by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him. As you well know. You know this. But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of the lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. If that ain't a pause, break to shout, I don't know what is. 
death could not keep him in its grip. You know, the second song we sang today, what song was that, babe? Glorious day. I'm not a grave. That bridge, the first two lines of the bridge, what does it say about chains? Yeah, my chains were heavy. Chains break at the weight of your glory. Listen, listen, I don't know where you're at in your life. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're dealing with. But I do know There are chains that try to attach themselves to us. There are thoughts. There are emotions. There are feelings. There are hurts. There are pains. And they try and wrap themselves around you. But the grave that could not hold Jesus Christ, the weight of his glory, when you go into his place, into his presence, the weight of who he is crushes those chains. I got so excited when we were singing that. It's hot in here. (laughs) Death could not keep him in his grip. If you can't remember anything else after we leave this place today, if all you can think about is popcorn and pop and M&Ms right now, if you're only listening with half an ear as I speak, counting down the minutes until we are done, would you please let this sink into your heart, this one thing, that the Jesus that we serve, death could not keep down. That the things that you're going through are nowhere near as great as the God we serve. And I know it looks hard, and I know it looks scary, and I know sometimes it don't feel like there's any answer for what you're dealing with, but Jesus, that's it, but Jesus. Okay, okay, let's go on. Death couldn't hold him in his grip. Verse 25 says, King David said this about him. I see that the Lord is always with me, and I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. I see that the Lord is before me, and I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad, and my tongue shouts his praise, and my body rests in hope, for you will not leave my soul among the dead, or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You have shown me the way of life, and you will fill me with the joy of your presence. Dear brothers, Peter says, think about this. You can be sure that our patriarch, David, wasn't referring to himself, for he died and was buried, and his tomb is still here among us. But he was a prophet, and he knew God had a promise with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on his throne. David was looking into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. He was uh, saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. God raised Jesus from the dead And we are all witnesses to this. He's talking about the 120 that are with him. They are all witnesses to Jesus being raised from the dead. Now, he is exalted to the place of the highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he promised, gave him, him being Jesus, the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us. Just as you see and as you hear today. 
For David himself never ascended into heaven, yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. Now, you got to remember, Peter is speaking to Jewish people. The Jews were the one who wanted Jesus crucified because he was saying he was God. He was saying, I am the Messiah, and they didn't want to have any piece of it. So Peter is talking to the Jews, showing them what God had said about Jesus Christ. Now in verse 36, Peter makes this interesting phrase, and he says this, Let everybody in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Man, I tell you what. Peter does not pull any punches. It is good. Let me t- let me t- he says, hey, guys, let me tell you this. Let everybody in Israel. Now, here's what I think is interesting. Peter was speaking. If you go to verse, um, I don't know, verse up before when he starts talking, he's talking to the Jews and the people in Jerusalem. And now all of a sudden, in verse 36, Peter says this, let everybody in Israel know. So he's gone from talking directly to the people in front of them to the entire nation of Israel. He said, I want everybody in Israel to know this. Everybody needs to know this. What's he thinking about? What does Peter have in his mind? Peter is thinking about Jesus saying to him, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So Peter is looking at the bigger picture. He's like, I'm not just talking to you guys. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to your families. I'm talking to your kids. I'm talking to your mamas and your uncles and your aunts and your daddies. I'm talking to everybody. I'm talking to that neighbor that you don't like that stole your lawnmower and hasn't given it back. I'm talking to him. I want everybody in the nation of Israel to know that the Christ, the Jesus that you crucified, the one that you put on the cross, is in fact Lord and Messiah. Man, he hit him square between the eyes. Boom. Picked up a rock just like David, threw it right at him. Hit him right there. Verse 37 says this. Peter's words pierced their hearts. Peter's words pierced their hearts. And in the Greek, that word pierced means a violent agitation. It means, man, it hit home. It means something was working. It means that his words that he was saying were not his own words. See, here's what happens. The Holy Spirit begins to move and it creates an entrance into people's hearts and lives. And then what you got to do is you got to stand up and begin to talk about Jesus. And that Jesus hits people square between the eyes, right where they're at in their life. Whatever they're dealing with, picking it up, mm, 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 let go of that rock, and it hits them right between the eyes. And they said this to him. Brothers, what should we do? What do we got to do? What are we supposed to do? When's the last time somebody asked you what they should do after you preach something to them, after you began to share God's goodness? When's the last time somebody said, what am I supposed to do now? Man, I'll tell you what. 
if we are modern believers, if we are living in a day and age where we have the Holy Spirit with us at all times and we are walking, like Galatians 5 says, walking in the Spirit, if we live our lives and we got the Holy Spirit with us everywhere we go, don't you think there should be evidence when we begin to talk to people, we begin to read their mail, we begin to meet them right where they're at, and they say, what am I supposed to do with what you just said? You just talked to me about my entire life. What should I do now? Hmm, good question, Peter says. So glad you asked. Good question. Good question. What do you do when your heart is pierced and you're violently agitated on the inside? You know something's wrong. You've got to fix it. You've got to make it right. What are you supposed to do? Here's what Peter says. Each of you, in verse 38, must repent of your sins and trust God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Cadence, can we put that up in the Amplified Translation? Peter said to them, repent. And here's what repent means. Change your old way of thinking. Change it. You think wrong. You got bad thoughts up in there. He says, if you want to be changed, here's what you've got to do. Change your old way of thinking. So much of life is caught up in your thoughts. So much of your life is affected by what you allow to pass from ear to ear. And what you allow to dwell there and what you allow to go into the innermost being of who you are. He says, repent and change your old way of thinking. Turn from your sinful ways. The word repent has the idea of this. You're walking one direction. I'm heading this way, going over here. You realize something you're doing is wrong. You say, I'm sorry, this is wrong. And you do this and start walking this way. So Peter says, here's what you should do. You should repent, you should change your thinking, and you should turn around from the direction you're going and start walking in the opposite direction. Okay, that's great, thanks. Woo, yeah! Mm. Verse 39 says this. We can go back to the New Living Translation, Cadence. It says, this promise is to you and to your children and even to the Gentiles, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging his listeners Save yourself from this crooked, perverse generation, the New King James says. 41 says, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 people in all. So you see a picture in these first two chapters of Jesus saying, I've got to go now, guys. It's time to leave. I have to go so that I can send the Holy Spirit down to you. He goes up. The disciples go to the upper room, spend a week there praying, waiting for the promise that God said he would send them. One day that promise shows up, begins making this crazy sound that nobody knows what's going on. And Peter gets up and begins to preach and says, here's what's happening let me tell you about Jesus, the guy you just crucified basically last month, a little more than. He is the Messiah. And he begins to talk to them about Jesus. And they say, what are we supposed to do with what you just said? 
And he says, you need to repent from the way that you're living, from the life that you're living, from the, from the direction you're walking. Turn around and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. That was a big deal because they were Jews and the Jews did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. So he says, you've got to be baptized in the name of Jesus, saying that he is your Lord, Savior, and Master. The Bible says that day, 3,000 people did that. About 3,000. And then here, in these last five verses, the header in my Bible says the believers form a community. It's a picture for us of what church should be and what it should look like. What do you... What do you do when there's 120 people and all of a sudden something crazy happens and now there's over 3,000 of you? What do you do? Well, here's what we see. 42 said all the believers, all those people that just gave their life to Jesus, that just converted, that said Jesus is the Messiah, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching they devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper. And they devoted themselves to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions. They shared their money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while, praising God and enjoying the goodwill of the people. And each day, say each day, the Lord added to their fellowship, those who were being saved. Each day, the Lord added to the fellowship those who were being saved. There's four things we see out of what this new church looks like, out of what this new group of believers looks like. What are you supposed to do? How are you supposed to live life? What is church supposed to look like? First thing we see is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We call that worship. They devoted themselves, devoted, not half-hearted, not only on Sundays, not Sundays and Wednesday nights, not Sundays and whenever you have your connect groups, not Sundays and when you go to prayer, but devoted means you give yourself to something. I am devoted to my wife. I have given my life to her. I'm devoted to my kids, to having a righteous, godly family. That means I lay my life down for them. I am devoted to you as a body, as a church. I get up and I pray for you. When you're all sleeping on Sunday morning and the bed is so nice and warm and you're having nice dreams, you know what I'm doing? I'm up. Why is dark? Praying for you, believing God for you. Because I am devoted to what God is wanting to do in our church, in our city, in our province, and in our nation. I am committed. 
And it says here, they devoted themselves. I'll tell you what, we need some devotion back up in the body of Christ. Today's day and age, pretty much anything goes. You can be a, you can be a two-hour Sunday Christian. You can be an all-day Sunday Christian. You can be a three-day-a-week Christian, and nobody's supposed to judge you. Nobody's supposed to. And listen, I'm, we're not here to judge anybody. It's God's job to judge. But what I'm here to do is call people up to a higher way of living. And it is our desire to see a body of believers raise up that are committed and devoted to seeing God both move in their lives and through their lives. Devotion. It's hard work sometimes. There's some Sundays, I'll be honest, I really want to sleep. There's some Mondays I really want to sleep. There's some Tuesdays. Let us be devoting ourselves to Jesus Christ. Whatever that looks like. But give yourself fully to that. They devoted themselves to fellowship. You know, we have Connect Sunday today. Connect Sunday isn't just some idea we came up with to um, have food after church. That's just more work for everybody. That's more stuff to pack up, bring here, take down. Somebody's got to go pick it up. Connect Sunday in our connect groups one of the ideas behind them is to create an environment where fellowship is taking place, where relationship is being birthed and stimulated that, that starts here and extends beyond the walls. This is what we see in the book of Acts. This is what happened. Church shows up. What does it look like? They devoted themselves to sharing their food and their money. These people went and sold stuff they had. And then when they found out somebody didn't have as much as them, they shared it with those that needed it. And the last thing they devoted themselves to was prayer. This is what church is supposed to look like. But none of it is supposed to be half-hearted. None of this is supposed to be 20%, 13%, 47 and a half it's all devotion when you surrender your life to Jesus and when you devote yourself to his plans and his purposes and his desires you see God begin to move in ways that you never would have imagined those 120 people that went to that room, devoted themselves to the words that Jesus said. He said, go to Jerusalem and wait for me. And if you do the math from Passover, which is the night Jesus was betrayed, to Pentecost is 50 days. And at the end of the book of Luke, he tells us that Jesus 
was with the disciples for 40 days. And we know Jesus was in the ground for three days. That's 43 days. That still leaves us seven days-ish that the disciples devoted themselves to sitting and waiting to see what was going to happen. That's a lot of devotion. A week of devotion. Some of us don't like two minutes of devotion. Some of us could do a half a day. These guys put everything aside. And as far as we can tell, they had no idea when the promise was going to show up. But they were committed to waiting to see when it would show up. And they were committed, however long that took, to wait for the promise from the Father. And when they devoted themselves, look what happened. Stand up with me. I encourage you today to devote yourselves to worship, to studying the Word, to listening to the Word of God, to fellowship with your brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, to sharing, share your time, share your finances, share your energy, share your resources, share your food, and I encourage you to devote yourself to a life of prayer. I've been thinking a lot lately. There's some stuff going on. It's taxing. And I've been thinking a lot about 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, 17, and 18. The Apostle Paul is talking the Thessalonians and he says this to them rejoice all the time pray without ceasing and in everything you do give thanks rejoice all the time all the time whatever you're going through whatever you're fighting with Whatever is happening in your life, rejoice all the time and pray about it without ceasing. Walk around, driving your car. God, I thank you that you're working in my life. God, I thank you. God, I just pray right now that that I don't know what to do, but I know that you know what to do. I don't have the answer, God, but I know that you have the answer. So God, right now, I'm just praying and thanking you that you are working on my behalf, and I am rejoicing in the fact that you are my Savior. I'm rejoicing in the fact that you are my salvation. I'm rejoicing in the fact, God, that you are the one who solves my problems when I don't know what else to do. Last thing he said, give thanks. Give thanks. Give thanks to God. He goes on and says, For this is the will of Christ Jesus concerning you. 
Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you are drawn closer to Jesus and that his spirit, his love, and his life are filling you right now. If you'd like more info about who we are and what we're doing at Hope City, head over to hopecitychurch.ca to find out more. And if you liked what you heard, head over to iTunes and rate the podcast to spread the word so others can hear too. And oh, one more thing before we go. We just want to remind you that you were made for hope.